The year is 1957, and you've been invited to a selective dinner. As you look around the horseshoe-shaped table, you can see many of your esteemed law professors who served as escorts for you and your fellow colleagues. Certainly, a woman can't go to a party without a male escort of some kind. Then, you hear a question asked out loud that you've tried to suppress from your own mind many times. Why are you here occupying a seat that could be held by a man? This is Based, Biased, or BS. Hello and welcome to the podcast where two best friends tell one true story. My name is Zach. And I'm Maddie. And this is Based, Biased, or BS. Yes. Welcome. Okay. I, yesterday, came to a conclusion about my life. Okay. And that conclusion is I will never see another improv show. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I hate going to improv shows and I don't want to be invited. Please don't invite me. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And I'm sorry to the person who invited me if you're listening (gasps) randomly. Um, I'm I'm sure you had a great time. Should we? Okay, maybe I shouldn't say this, but. Are they going to listen? I don't know. Who cares? It, I'm standing by it. <laughs> okay. I'm standing by it. Yeah, you don't came in hot. Me. You came in hot about it. So I did because it was like, it felt like a real conclusion of my life to be like, never again. Okay. But I'm teaching improv, I so. I won't attend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I enjoy doing it, but I don't don't enjoy watching it well let me also preface i'm sorry i'm hoarding the beginning of this episode no no of course a man would hoard the beginning of this episode. yeah of course (laughs) um um sweats sweats and misogyny um (laughs) the show i went and saw to make it more specific for people to specifically know who i'm talking about i'm cringing um it was a two hour improv long form improv the whole thing was the same plot um based or in the style of alfred hitchcock movies which i've i there was a list of all the movies i think think i've seen one i don't know which one it was i can't remember so it was everybody talking in these voices and it was a a crime and someone someone committed a crime and that from the uh, office what that's like a scene from the office it's well it's like alfred hitchcock kind of movie (laughs) real movie people are gonna kill us oh no but i think it kind of turned into or adopted a lot of like murder mystery that is like what the kind of theme is i think okay okay i need you to say the name stop i need you to say the name and bleep it later say the name (laughs) say it say of the show of the person (laughs) That invited me. Do I know them? Yeah. So say the name and then you can bleep it later. (laughs) Well, okay. Maybe I'll have to bleep this whole part, but it was her birthday and it was. I knew you were going (laughs) to say it. You have to bleep. You have to cut that. Okay. I will. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we're here to talk about Mr. Man. Thank you. Yes. We're here to talk about 
RBG. Well, RBG. Well, that's not the mo- name that's of the not, movie. The name not. of the movie is On the Basis of Sex. Yes. Is this... Should I go into my... Well, I have a question for you. Okay, please. Is this a movie you would have ever watched had I not made you? Never. (laughs) And I don't say that with pride. Never would I ever have clicked on this movie. Okay, interesting. It it has... This becomes part of it later, but Mm -hmm. it has... The name is makes me think of something that it's not. The word sex mm-hmm. was it like when you first said it in the last two episodes ago, whatever, or last episode, I guess. It was not the movie I was thinking it was going to be. I love that you went into it thinking it was gonna that you had no idea what. I love that. Yeah, I well then you like right in the episode sure. I learned when you said it was about. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but that my first initial reaction was like, oh, oh okay. Hustlers Part Two. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it fresh. I'm trying to have a little different. Yeah, variety. I yeah. Love it. Let me give you a couple of film facts yes. that I learned about this movie. So it is a, we kind of talked about this, a biographical film that's set from the 1950s to the late 70s, mm-hmm. chronicling the start of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's career in law. Um, the movie was released in November of 2018, which was four years ago. Yeah. Don't talk about it. Um, and it stars Felicity Jones as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or RBG, as we said, and Army Hammer. Dot, dot, dot. The name. <laughs> as her husband and lawyer. Do you know anything about Army Hammer? All I can think of is socks. Is what? Like, socks. Like, does... Is he on a sock company? <laughs> um, no. Oh. Um, this isn't the episode to talk about it, but he's like, in the shortest way I can say it, he might be a cannibal. In real life? In real life. Okay, moving on. Okay, moving on. on. Um, this man, he plays um, her husband, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's husband, mm-hmm. Martin, or Marty Ginsburg. Um, Sam Watterson and Kathy Bates also are featured in smaller roles in the film. It kind of got like mixed reviews um, and it didn't really have any major nominations or awards Mm -hmm. or anything, but I felt like it was a very easy film to follow and a great like starting point to this woman and her work because I will also admit that I don't really know a lot about Ruth Bader Ginsburg I knew she was a woman that I agreed with and like I knew she was on the right side of history for me but I did not really know about her her career right or especially when you think of for me when you think of um feminists or like second wave feminists it's very women centered and I think as I did more research on her it was like oh no this is truly about equality for both Men and women, which we'll touch on more. So the way I'm going to break this down for us is I'm going to talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life, a very general, very general overview of her immediate early life, and then Mm -hmm. a little bit more into her collegiate life and law school life, up until she becomes an appellate court judge. 
1980. And then I'm going to go into detail about the six cases she argued in front of the Supreme Court. So, okay. Those specifics. That sounds beautiful. One thing that I want to, you don't have to, but I'm going to kind of keep track of or make note of every time is what the film claims. Because I feel like that gives a little insight of what they're trying to do with the film. Like, what based story? on a true story or like what how they phrase it because a yeah. lot of them phrase it differently so this yes. one is inspired by a true story okay so love that, that she will inspired by it. i love that all right so ruth bader ginsburg was born joan ruth bader on march 15th 1933 in brooklyn new york so her uh first name is actually joan and her middle name is ruth but there were a lot of Jones at school. So her teachers started calling her Ruth. And that's how that came about. Um, Her dad was a furrier. Her dad was a (laughs) furrier. Oh, one who furs. Mm -hmm. Makes furs? Makes (laughs) coats. Deals in and sells furs. Furs. Okay. So he was the Jill Zarin of furs. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Precisely. Um, and her mom worked in a garment factory. Um, okay. So definitely like working class. Yes. Neither of her parents okay. were educated beyond like primary immediate school. So she was okay. first in her family to go to college. Ruth had an older sister who um, ended up passing away when Ruth was only 14 months old. So she was raised mm. as an only child, essentially. Okay. By her parents. Her mom was the catalyst for her love of education, even though she never attended college herself. And she, uh, her mom made sure that her brother went to college and fund, helped fund his education and was so... She was yeah. very focused on getting an education. But she was diagnosed with cancer and passed, the, passed away the day before Ruth's high school graduation. So she never got to see... Her graduate high school, unfortunately, which is very... That's so sad. I know, it is sad. Um, There's a lot of moments as I was researching that I was like, man, another thing? And another one? (laughs) (laughs) Another? Please stop. Um, Not to to foreshadow. Um, Yeah, please do. I love a foreshadow. (laughs) In the year 1954, Ruth not only graduated top of her class at Cornell... But she also married her husband, Martin D. Ginsburg. So they met their freshman year. Uh, I think it was second semester. From there, they they really hit it off and were married. By the time they were, she was done there. He was a year ahead of her. Okay. I don't know if Got that's it. portrayed at all. The movie kind of starts with her, you're about to get to it, I assume, okay. entering Harvard. Yes. So first, she gave they she gave birth to their first child, Jane, in 1955. Okay. Um, and then yep. Mart, Martin was drafted for two years of military service, and he taught for two years at the artillery school in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So this was very end of the Korean War. Okay. Not that I know much of what. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, we have to wait to watch a movie about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh pretty sure my grandpa served in that but okay um as soon as he returned she enrolled in law school at harvard as you said so while at harvard ruth had some interesting experiences can i 
Can I interrupt with yes. the opening scene of the movie? Absolutely. I can't really tell what day it is. It kind of gives me first day vibes, but okay. it also could have been mid in the semester, whatever. But it, the film starts with the credits and everything rolling, but behind the text that's on the screen is just like men and men in suits, all suits and briefcases and men and like so many men. There's so many people on the screen that it, you can't see anything past the crowds of men walking towards the school and you don't really even know where they're walking. It's just like men and men and men. And I'm like, okay, okay, but wait, what's this little blue dress peeking out somewhere? And it's like, you get flashes of her walking through the Mm. crowd of men climbing the stairs. And finally they're really like teasing you with it. And it's like the blue dress, the blue dress. She like sticks out totally with everyone else in these like Brown and gray suits And then you get a clip of her like sitting in her seat amongst all the men. And even the other women in the class are wearing colors that like match the men. They're like Mm. muted, dull colors. But she's just like sitting in the middle of the class, bright blue, bushy, bushy eyed, tailed or something. Bushy tailed. Bushy tailed, wide eyed or something. Bright eyed. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a perfect segue, actually. Because she was one of nine women in her 500-person law class. So that matches up perfectly with that, even that initial image of just walking through the campus. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk specifically about a dinner that was held by Dean Aaron Griswold. Baby, when you mentioned this dinner in the intro, I... (laughs) It was shocking in the movie. I was ho- I had a feeling it was probably in the movie and I was able to find an interview where she talks specifically about that dinner and uh-huh. um where Ruth does? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And what wow. her perception of that dinner was. So I'm curious how how it was portrayed, but she says mm-hmm. um at the dinner when they were asked why are you here occupying a seat that could be held by a man um The context of that was actually that Dean Griswold was actually asking because he wanted to be able to know from the women themselves how they would make use of law degrees. He didn't know he Mm -hmm. was making anyone uncomfortable and had been a proponent of admitting women in the first place to Harvard. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then... This character, the Dean, is that he is? That's Sam Watterson. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. He... He plays the old misogynistic man very well. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's, a, it's a weird thing to say about someone, but it's also a compliment. <laughs> yeah, he's always so friendly in everything he plays, but he did this role really well without a mustache, I might add. He shaved it. <laughs> maybe that, maybe therein lies the joy. Yeah. Mustaches bring joy. You heard it here first. We're we're definitely proponents of mustaches here. Yeah. Okay, back to... I've got one. My husband has one sometimes. (laughs) I I can see one in certain lights on myself. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad you brought it up. (laughs) I've seen my mom's, okay? I know what's coming for me. No offense, mom. (laughs) She knows. No offense, Okay, back to... Back to Ruth. So. Okay, sorry. After being asked that question, she says her colleague Mm -hmm. Flora responded, Dean Griswold, there are X number of us. There are 500 of them. What better place to find a man? And yeah, and knowing he was coming from a genuine place makes that answer also make a lot of sense. 
to me mm-hmm. of like, oh, she's just playing. She's kind of playful about it. Because when I first yeah. read that quote, I was like, jaw drop. Yeah. Uh Oh, my gosh. That's like my worst nightmare fear to be asked at a dinner with professors and only the other women in my law class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then she talks about her response. Um, and so Ruth used to be a smoker. And she said that she had the ashtray sitting in her lap because her and the person sitting next to her were both smoking. And she Uh stood up to give her answer and forgot about it. And all the cigarette butts went falling on the floor. Um, And so she ended up giving a very vague answer that implied she wanted to be able to understand her husband's work as the main reason that she was also trying to get a law degree. And in this interview... She says the real reason was she wanted to study law and took the LSAT before her husband Marty ever did. So she was like, Mm. I just genuinely want to know the law and make it equitable. That's why. But she wasn't able to do that. What you just described almost exactly plays out in the movie. They have that exact dinner. The dean stands up and the quote I had from him, he says, go around the table, say where you're from and why you hold the spot in Harvard's class that could have gone to a man. That quote, it's shocking that anyone would ever say that. And he, this Dean character, he did talk about being like the person to want to bring women into the school, but he was also like horrible to them. Sure. And those questions did kind of go where, a woman would stand up and she would say something and he would be like, not a good reason, sit back down. And then when Ruth went, that exact thing with the ashtray happened. Mm-hmm. And then she said that exact answer like, well, my husband's in the class above and I really want to learn more about law just so I can understand him a little bit better. And the way she said it, though, was like, I know the answer you want and I'm going to be a good little wife yes. with like a smile on her face and all the other women cracked up laughing and then he kind of got that he was the butt of the joke and Mm. he was not into that he was kind of her opponent for most of the movie interesting i could i could see that i definitely can see it when when he's like hey i was the one who brought you women here like i'm not i'm not misogynistic i think you should have an education too so you can um go back home and keep washing the dishes but now you know the law mm-hmm. that's exactly what they expected just to be like good job you, you and have, then you have a brain with stuff in it okay go back yeah to sweet but bait. there's no jobs for you yeah yeah but there were for men like her husband martin yep. but before he could get that job he was first diagnosed with testicular yeah. cancer yeah it happens during a game of charades that's horrible <laughs> He was dancing. The clue was blue suede shoes, and he was giving the best clues. He was he was lip he was lip raising. He was, he was jiving, whatever that knee to knee side to side thing Elvis is. Thing. Pointing at his feet, no one would get it. And then he falls over in abdominal pain, and two seconds later, they're at the hospital, testicular cancer with the five percent survival rate. And let's remember, this is person number two in her life. Of her immediate family that has now been diagnosed with cancer. Oh, yeah, her mom. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right. So and she's like, how old is she now? Do you know? Um, she was born in 
probably her late 20s. 1933. I, I know in 60, like two, she's 29. So she's probably 20, 25, 26. 20, yeah, at the most. That's younger than <sighs> us. I can't imagine yeah. at that age having yeah. dealt with that. But she says that their classmates rallied around them. And not only did she help him take notes, she had note takers mm-hmm. in every single one of his classes. And his friends would go to the hospital and give him private tutorials of the mater- of the material they had learned before even going home. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, in the movie, that is all done by Ruth. It shows her running to classes and her taking all of his notes and then going back to the hospital and teaching him. Mm-hmm. I think it was a group effort, effort from what this is based off of an interview she gave. She said herself yeah. she had all these. And then she also said he had the best grades of his life that year and he only actually attended class for two out <laughs> of the 15 week semester. Oh, and, oh my God. and Ruth was also top of her class. So, of course, <laughs> taking double the classes. Yeah, Literally. of course. She's like, I don't know if you can call someone a law prodigy, but that is what she is. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like, she was dead. Like, there's never been someone I've, well, I haven't researched many people, but (laughs) there hasn't been someone I've researched before that I'm like, oh, this is, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And she says it too. But even then, after Martin has recovered uh, and he ends up taking a, position with a law firm in new york ruth is able Mm -hmm. to complete her final year of law school at columbia law and she ended up graduating top of that class in 1959 it was a big fight for her to get to be able to do that yes in the movie they were like why do you think you should be able to get a harvard degree if you don't stay at harvard yeah that's what she wanted that was her so she didn't get the harvard degree she got the columbia degree yes Got it. So after graduating from law school, she was an excellent student, top of her class, extremely well versed in the law. Um, as you mentioned, like the law prime law. candidate for anything going out into the work field. And she could not get a job anywhere. And that was what it was for women. If if yeah. if you could get your little pinky toe in the door, mm-hmm. you were in. And then the next job wouldn't be quite as hard, but. That initial foot in the door is like, yeah, almost non-existent for most. Yeah, it. They show it in the movie with her going into a interview at this like janky looking law firm, and the dude interviewing her is like feels really on her side, and he's like, "What are you doing here? You're." You went to Harvard. You graduated top of your class at Columbia. Why are you at this law firm? Like, people with your education don't go here. And she's like, I've always wanted to work at whatever, sons and whatever. It's been one of my life's biggest passions. And he goes, how many interviews have you been on? And she goes, this is number, like, 27. And then she kind of spills it all, being like, yeah, oh, one one person asked me if I was here to interview for the receptionist. One person said, you know, we just can't hire you because what will the wives think with a woman here all day? Mm-hmm. Us around a woman all day. Despite the fact the that they the all have female secretaries. All of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. She mentioned that. But they interview. can't be their equal. Right. And at the end of the interview, the dude's like, 
it feels like she's finally going to get this one. And he's like, you know, we really can't, we really can't have that image with us. Like people don't take us seriously as it is. They're not going to take us seriously anymore. Yeah. And another, another one of the things was the men in the positions of power to hire would, were too afraid the women would be needed by their husbands or children at home. So they didn't want to risk hiring them. Or one was like, when do you plan on getting pregnant next? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. really crazy stuff that it, it makes you think like, I always think like we haven't come that far as a society, but we have a little bit. And especially like, thanks to this exact woman. Absolutely. And eventually she does become the law clerk to honorable Edmund L. Palmieri, the judge of the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, and she does that from 1959 until 1961. Can we talk about Sweden, though? Um, you don't have to do. know what that means. Great. Yeah, so, I don't. <laughs> it, great. Let's go to Sweden. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good thing I brought my passport. Woohoo! All right, so <laughs> let, let's just remind ourselves at this point. Uh Ruth is about like 29. She has just completed, after finally getting it, being a law clerk to Mm -hmm. a judge. She then becomes a research associate as well as associate director of the Columbia Law School Project on International Procedure from 1961 to 1963. During that time, she went to Sweden with her daughter and was completely amazed at the place women occupied. Before going, she taught herself Swedish so that she would be able to read, write, and understand their civil procedures, because that's what she would end up writing on later. Of course she did. Um, Mm -hmm. And in a direct quote from Ruth, she describes the type of things being written about in the newspapers there, um, such as, why should the woman alone be the one to take the children for their medical checkups, buy them shoes, have dinner on the table at seven. He should do more than take out the garbage. Swedish, Swedish women, Swedish, Swedish, Swedish fish, Swedish women, Swedish fish. Take seven. Okay, and cut and go. <laughs> Swedish women. You can't laugh after you say go. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> huh. Swedish women debated this. <laughs> I'm going to keep this in. I don't know why we're acting like we're going to cut okay. it. <laughs> so, okay. So, Swedish women debated the idea that men should do more than just take out the garbage. Some took yep. pride in handling everything. Um, I recall a medical doctor glad that she had a profession, but thinking it altogether right and proper that she take primary responsibility for her children. But others said, why should I have two jobs when he has only one? And then Mm -hmm. Ruth also talks about the fact that women were also able to make choices regarding their bodily autonomy in a safe and reliable way in Sweden at this time. So access to safe health care and abortion and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And there was even government provided daycare for Jane, which Ruth utilized and was amazed by. Wow. All in Sweden. Mm -hmm. And this is this is 1960s, early 1960s. That's wild. 1960s? Yes. Damn. So that completely opens her brain. which yep, to I'm what a, yeah. her world could be. Mm-hmm. So upon returning to the States, 
Ruth becomes a professor of law at Rutgers University School of Law, and she's there from 1963 until 1972. Okay. We, in the movie, there was a couple of, like, time jumps where they Mm. showed the year on the screen. So one of them was what we talked about when they moved to New York. It was, Mm -hmm. like, 1959. And then this, what we're talking about now, it flashed on the screen, 1970. So they did, they kind of skipped the... Okay. The Swedish part. Sure. And then in 1965, she gives birth to her son, James. But Mm -hmm. uh, if you were one of Ruth's colleagues at the time at Rutgers, you probably wouldn't have known because she hid her pregnancy. (gasps) Really? Mm -hmm. She was scared she would be demoted and didn't reveal it until after her contract renewal. Wow. A a queen. But I'm just thinking about the fact, like the idea of hiding a pregnancy. That she had to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's like an episode of Glee. Right. It's exactly like Glee. <laughs> it's not. I'm sorry. It's not, but that's... Oh, I can't even imagine that. Right. So, we're moving on from Rutgers. And <laughs> in you. 1972, she began teaching at Columbia Law, where she became the first female professor to earn tenure. Okay. She wow. taught... Mm-hmm. She taught at Columbia until 1980 when President Jimmy Carter appointed her as judge of the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Okay. However, throughout this whole time period, she wasn't just at Columbia. Mm-hmm. She was also a fellow at the Center for Advanced Study in the Behavioral Sciences in Stanford, California. She co-founded the Women's Rights Project of the American Civil Liberties Union and served as the ACLU's general counsel from 1973 till 1980, and was on the national board of directors for it from 1974 until 1980. And all I've done today is eat a bowl of cereal. Holy moly. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was a lot. That was a lot of things. Well, and mind you, during this period of time also, she's done her big six. Yes, ma'am. These are the six big arguments Ruth Bader Ginsburg argued before becoming a judge herself. Her first case was Frontiero versus Richardson. Frontiero v. Richardson? Yeah, v. Frontiero v. v. Richardson in 1972, where she was a legal advocate on behalf of women's rights. So she wasn't the actual main defense lawyer in that scenario so sharon frontiero was a lieutenant in the united states air force who tried to claim her husband as a dependent so he could receive the benefits that wives receive when their military spouses Mm -hmm. do that according to according to the law at the time she had to prove her husband was dependent on her for support and since he was not technically he could not get benefits um Mm. And so when it was Ruth's turn to argue, she argued for 10 minutes completely uninterrupted and ended with asking the court to declare sex a suspect criterion. Amicus urges a position forcibly stated in 1837 by Sarah Grimke. She's a noted abolitionist and advocate of equal rights for men and women. She spoke not elegantly, but with unmistakable clarity. She said, I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. This case was won. Hell yeah. Okay. That one, that case was not in the movie. Interesting. It was her first one. 
Yeah, yeah. It but wasn't in the movie. It kind of starts with... Um, I'm sure you're going to get to it. Con V. Shevin? Um, you know, I really wish I could have remembered the names, but there's two that are main in this okay. in the movie. One of them is two names that are the same. Okay. Are you are you similar? Or yeah, Reed versus Reed? Is it Reed v. Reed? Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. And there's another one that's a little bit bigger about um, a male caregiver. Okay, so I didn't actually write about Reed v. Reed because she didn't actually argue that one. She was the, she wrote the okay. brief for it. However, yes. the, what she wrote was used in the court's opinions, which is like a very okay. high honor. So okay. if you want to talk about Reed v. Reed a little, what, you're, um, what you remember of it. Because oh that was before wish... any of these. It was kind of a minor sub or minor plot point, but I don't remember i feel like it was like a divorce thing because it was two people with the same yes it was discrimination based on gender is not constitutional when naming the administrator of an estate so when um this couple's son like passed away while in the custody of the father and the father automatically got put in charge of the estate because he is a man yes yes and the mother wanted to be in charge of it Mm -hmm. so her the way she wrote her the briefing on it the brief for it. Yep. Yeah. Kind of influenced opinions in that way. She wants to argue the Reed v. Reed case, but they want to go with a mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. because the optics of a woman fighting for a woman is not as good or whatever to them than a man fighting a legal case for her. Sure. And the caregiver case, I forget the name of it. Is what she takes because it's a little different situation. It's a man. I think it's... Is it the something about Social Security Act? Let me tell you about the other cases and then... Because yeah, they I'm might sorry, have combined. Kind of making you jump around. No, okay. that's okay. They might have combined some mm. cases in the movie. So her second case was called Con v. Shevin in 1973 and it was not successful. This man named Mel Khan was a widower and he applied for a property tax exemption that was given to widows automatically um, and he was denied. Upon taking it to court, the circuit court declared it a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, which requires equal protection under the law to all people. However, the Florida Supreme Court reversed that decision, arguing that gender classification had a fair and substantial relation to the legislation and that single women faced more hardships in the job force than single men. So they were like, okay. no, that's why widowers can claim it automatically or wid- widows can claim automatically without having to mm. prove anything. Yeah. So that's a, uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. Well, that's exactly what her whole thing was, was she has a quote that says, quote, if the law differentiates on the basis of sex, that's why I wrote it down because I was like, the movie title, the movie title. (laughs) Um, If the law differentiates on the basis of sex, then how will men and women ever be equals? And by this, right now, the Constitution in her time when she's fighting discrimination on the basis of sex is legal Mm -hmm. because there's certain laws that state men or women it's differentiating on the basis of sex what that means where it's pointing out people's sex that says this law applies to this citizen but it doesn't apply to this citizen and that 
is unconstitutional. And that's kind of what her whole thing stands upon is yes, it affects women more because women are more called out Mm -hmm. in this way, but it also affects men. Same with like the patriarchy. It like, it does negatively affect women more so, but it also does affect men too. Like there are, it's not good on either side. Um, But the main case that, that the movie follows is called um, Moritz v. Commissioner. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like her starting point where it was a male who his mother was sick. And he, there's a certain law that was um, giving a tax break for caregivers. Mm. But the law specifically says that it or implies something about a woman caregiver and that only women can receive this tax break. So this male, his the son was denied the tax break. And so she, I don't know why I'm saying tax break. I don't know if that's the real word, but Ruth takes on this case with her husband to Mm. argue that this is unconstitutional because this man is not receiving this benefit that is, should be given to all caregivers. So she uses that because it's a good starting point for her as a strategist to be like, okay, this is a case affecting a man so they can see this is wrong and when they overturn this then every other thing i can go back and say well you said about this man that it wasn't right that he was talked about or specifically left out of this law because of his sex so how is that different when a woman is specifically not getting something she should just because she's a woman yeah and that actually ties in perfectly with Mm -hmm. The last case she argued before she became a judge, which was Duren okay. v. Missouri in 1979, where a Missouri law allowed women to be exempt from jury duty just for being women. So, okay. So if because you didn't, they're like they have to be at the home doing things. Or ju- well, Ruth argued that optional jury duty I'm for trying to make sense of the right. stupid law, but right. Yeah. Ruth argued that optional jury duty for women makes women's service on a jury less valuable than a man's, and was in fact mm-hmm. discriminatory towards men for no exemption option. Right. So yeah. exactly what you're saying that way, and it also like does the people on trial a disservice by not having women on the jury? Yes, especially for women on trial yes need to have women on in the jury yes and the other case she did having to do with jury duty uh-huh. okay <laughs> um Tell deals me. with edwards 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 v healy i didn't mean <laughs> to be i didn't mean to be from transylvania versus healy. yeah so edwards v healy This was a challenge to a Louisiana law that automatically exempted women from jury services unless they wrote in declaring that they wished to serve. Okay. And Ruth argued that the statute violated the Equal Protection Clause and the Due Process Clause, but the court gave no opinion. So it was not dealt with until a later one. So the court didn't... What the court's allowed to do that? She's like, this is unconstitutional, and they're, and they're like, like, yeah, eh. but wait a second. Well, the, the only reason, like, I kept looking, or for they reason- didn't just give it. 
they kept opinion. pushing they like, it they kept being like let's discuss this another time and then eventually just never gave an opinion but later on in another case taylor v louisiana they ended up striking it down as well but could okay. you imagine having to be like oh, please i would like to be on the jury right. don't exempt me she okay <laughs> listeners just so you know she's miming miming a beautiful <laughs> writing on a postcard can you imagine being like it's probably so hard to get the form that you're supposed to fill out. Then you have to fill out and be like, please, I would like to be on jury duty. A woman in the 1970s, like, she has enough things to do. Then, And then imagine yeah, you get called for a day out. you can't do. And then they're like, well, you wanted it. Too bad you have yep. to, like, so you now have to you be ha- here. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing with all of these cases, it, like, in the whole grand scheme of the world they're small like jury duty little like exemption thing it's not the end of the world Claiming but benefits. when she's tackling them yeah. like one by one she's like proving a huge point like a huge loophole basically or like or barriers and buffers there are these like buffers for being able to grow because if yes, we just yes, keep being like oh you don't have to do it little woman you don't have to do it little woman mm-hmm, like, yes there mm-hmm. are going to be Let some women who want who are like oh i love not having to do jury duty because i'm a woman right but like at the end of the day do you love having your time not be as valued as as men's so yeah or the option should be given yes like to everyone correct no, ma- no matter who you are yes that's the issue and and as you're saying, like these were like small little things, but they made big differences. And something that Ruth talks about in a lot of interviews is how timing was so crucial and how she was really in the right place at the right time when society was finally ready to listen. Because she was mm. saying and doing things, even in arguments and cases, that women before her had been saying. She said specifically about Reed v. Reed. It'd been talked about before. But they hadn't yeah. heard it before. They hadn't wanted. There was no one had wanted named to listen. Kenyon, last name Kenyon, mm-hmm. a lawyer. I forget her first name. I'm sorry. That's okay. Was played yeah. by Kathy Bates, and she was definitely that character of the women. And she was a real person of the women before me. Yep, have yeah. paved the way, but they weren't ready to listen. Right, and then yeah, in 1980, she gets appointed by Jimmy Carter to mm. the circuit. Court Supreme and, Court? No, oh. that's not Supreme Court yet. Okay. Supreme okay. Court is by Fine. Clinton, I believe. Okay. But she does that, and uh, once she's a Supreme Court justice, justice. <laughs> once she is a Supreme Court justice, uh, I think people are a little more familiar with mm-hmm. what she's done with her life. But she's she talks about how she had her parents not come to America. She would not have been in the position she was in to make the changes she did. And so she's very grateful for that ability and how everyone should have the ability to come to a place where they can truly come through horrible hardships and losing people in their life and mm-hmm. and taking twice the amount of classes a law student should be taking and being told no every juncture, even though you are the best possible option. And she's, yeah. she made a huge difference in a was responsible for a lot of landmark things and and decisions. So that's, yeah, I loved getting to research her. And I've known about her, but not... Right. I didn't, I don't think I understood her, like, determination until 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, determination for real and like nonstop persistence. Or what truly equality means when you're thinking about there should be yes. no distinction between men and women. It's not just about fighting for women. It's about fighting for both to be the same. <laughs> yes. She was... And it's so... At one point in the movie, the there's a group of like opposing lawyers fighting that caregiver case I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to, I guess, inundate her team, a lot of paperwork and like busy work. Yeah. So they send her every single law that differentiates on the basis of sex. I believe there, it was definitely in the mid hundreds. It was either 173 or 137, I forget. Um, all Every single law. And they said, so if you're trying to overturn this law, does that mean you're trying to turn every other, all of these laws? And she was like, yeah, there should be no basis on or no differentiation on the basis of sex Period. anywhere. <laughs> we are all citizens of America. Yeah. The movie ends. So I guess kind of with your research and with the movie, we're kind of only covering what the movie tells or the Correct. story that the movie tells. So, and that was my intention. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a lot more that she's done since we kind of ended off with the end of the movie. We have the overturning of the the caregiver case which kind of is made clear that there's going to be like a this is the beginning domino of all of these six cases that you talked about to come mm-hmm. and it ends with um felicity jones the actress walking up the stairs to i forget where but it feels like congress or like a big place it's, it's supposed to be and... her walking up to the supreme court like it's her okay yes right after, okay it's her that's what i wanted to say but i yeah. don't know or like appellate court okay yeah. she's walking up to the supreme court and you know there's like columns and bars and those like yeah columns that's what they're called not bars <laughs> and not bars not bars no. <laughs> and as she passes one then the real ruth bader ginsburg is they make like a quick switch <gasps> and it's like felicity jones walking and then boom all of a sudden it's real ruth bader ginsburg i got goosies i got goosies rest in peace I cried. It was like so shocking. I did not know it was going to happen. And she just like walks across the screen and I was like, oh my God, I just learned about you and you are everything. It was like really amazing way to end it. Where I had no idea. She was. you liked it? I loved it. Yeah, it was a great movie. And it was like, I thought a perfect movie to be like, where's, I want a sequel. I want the second part. Mm. Because it was just told in such a way that was like, She's fighting, fighting, fighting to get anything. And then she finally makes this. She the judges agree with her in this decision. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, all of these things she can do. She can she can accomplish now because she can change the world. world. Yeah. And then it kind of it ends in a way that a lot of these based on true crime. Oh, based on true (laughs) based on true events movies do with text at the end talking about like the moritz versus commissioner Mm -hmm. caregiver case was overturned unanimously the uh, she ended up writing the brief for the reed is that what it was reed v reed yes case i believe it briefly mentioned like she went on to fight for these six other cases but it didn't really talk about that got yeah and I bl- the movie was made before her death, obviously, because she's in it. Yeah. But it even came out before her death. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no, like, 
in memoriam. In memory, sure. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? It's, I think, clear. It's a pretty based. Yeah. It's based as as can be. Especially while, she's in it. So she's while like. still giving like theatrics. Yeah. A lot of law. So like be prepared for that aspect of it. But Felicity Jones really kills it in the movie. And she, even though I didn't understand everything that was happening all the time, it was still like interesting. And there was love aspects with the husband. And there's a whole daughter aspect that she's a pretty big character in the movie where she Ruth Bader Ginsburg kind of sees the next generation of woman growing up mm. in her daughter. Her daughter's kind of mad at her because she's like, you don't do anything to fight for the cause because her daughter is going to rallies and that kind of activism. Mm. She doesn't see what her mother is really doing in sure. the, at the, the legal the level that she's doing it at. Right. Yeah. They're two different fights, but they're both they're fighting the for the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Love so that. it's it's based for sure. Based, 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 Baby. based. Yeah. Love it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed um, learning with us today because I sure learned a lot from this movie. So thank you for picking it. Of course. And now are you ready to reveal what I will be watching? Yes, I am ready to reveal um, to you and to our fellow listeners. Before we do, though, if you want to see any, um, we're going to be posting like pictures of, I kind of want us to post pictures of like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Felicity Jones as her kind of next to each other on our Instagram or like just pictures of um, her younger. I feel like those pictures aren't really shown a lot. And that's kind of the era we talked about her in on our Instagram at based biased or BS just spelled exactly like the show is called. That's that's where you can find us if you want a little more. For next week, if you want to watch the movie before we talk about it, again, you don't really have to. You will want to watch the thrilling movie, or so I've heard. I've never seen it. Apollo 13. And I've never seen it either. So that yeah, so... is a, so when you say Apollo 13, my brain says big question mark. Yeah. <laughs> but excited. Honestly, same. <laughs> when I pick this, we'll get... We yeah. always do this. Yeah. I start to talk about it. Okay. Don't talk about Apollo it. Apollo 13. That's your assignment for next week. You if it. you want to do it, it's optional. Oh, not for not you, for me. but it's optional for the listeners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Thanks for hanging okay. out today, Maddie. Oh, you're welcome. You too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy. Oh, I'll see you next week. Okay. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Goodbye. <laughs> on our Instagram at based biased or BS just spelled exactly like the show is called. Well, That's where you can find us. No, you can't find us at based biased or BS. Is that not what it is? It's BBB pod. It's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I dare you to look right now. It's not. Wait, why do I, why was I so sure of that? It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's based biased or BS. I'm, <laughs> Don't listen to her.